everyone. Welcome to Doing It Real. I'm really excited today to invite uh, a special guest onto our, onto our show, uh, a gentleman named Rizal, who I've been connected to for actually many, many years, and we've engaged on LinkedIn, but I've only just now got the opportunity to talk to him directly. And one amazing thing that we both found out just literally minutes ago is that we both have daughters named after Princess Leia from Star Wars. So it's always amazing to meet another Star Wars fan. Uh, so, uh, result, I'd love if you could introduce yourself briefly and tell us a little bit about the, the companies that you're working with. Yes, thanks, John. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, I love every single opportunity to engage. And uh, when you texted me the other day, hey, Rizal, you keen to, you know, come and join in and do this podcast? And I said, yep, I'm all in. I'm all in. I definitely love uh, doing engagement in any way possible. We are lacking of engagements these days, right? We can't meet face to face. And the only way is, you know, virtually. And this is one way to do it. So uh, thanks yep. again for having me on board. And yep, we have the force with us today. <laughs> so I hope that the force will guide us through the conversations <laughs> in this podcast. Um, yep, yep. All right. So uh, just a bit about myself. So my name is Rizal, and um, I'm actually an aspiring speaker. Uh, I'm also a trainer, and I consider myself to be an entrepreneur. And um, I currently run three companies. Um, all of them have uh, separate businesses. So the first company is called Red Pack Asia. So I'm wearing the uniform now. Uh, it's my Red Pack Asia uniform, red in color, obviously. Uh, I love red. And Red Pack Asia does management consultancy, speaking, and training. So it's a small team of people, uh, passionate people, who want to give back to the community and uh, help future generations or new leaders. And the second company is called Tech Rabbit Technologies. It's a digital media company. Um, we've been servicing clients with their digital media requirements, uh, but we're also jumping into uh, technology training as well. So um, things involving Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, digital media marketing, and so on. And uh, my third company uh, is called Yeah, Yeah, Yeah Studio. Yes, you didn't get it wrong. It's Yeah, Yeah, Yeah Studio. I think that's the right way to say it. And it's a creative studio uh, made up of amazing individuals, uh, people who've been in the industry of uh, creative audio and creative visual for at least 20 years or so. And these guys are award-winning musicians and award-winning visual artists. And we've been together for about a year plus already. And uh, we are developing our own IPs, IPs and meaning um, animation. And um, we have uh, tons of clients um around the world uh wanting to buy our ip and collaborate with us and you know just for you john because you're on the podcast and letting you know that we have just signed a big deal with uh, one of the top recording labels in malaysia to release uh our songs uh which are meant for kids wow. so we create animation for kids and targeting for a tv launch in 2022 so it's been uh, a long time coming a year and a half or so and uh, even though it sounds like uh, you know these three companies have been around for a lot, around for a while, but actually it's not. Um, <laughs> I've only started the companies in February officially this year, and I left corporate in February oh, wow. 2021. So maybe for the listeners, a bit of an insight to me. I'm an accountant by practice, uh, graduated in Australia, and I stayed there for seven years and did a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know why. I, 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 I studied accountancy because that's where the money is. That's what everybody say. You know, want to get more money, you become an accountant. Later on, to find out that you count someone else's money, not 
not your own money. So, yeah. uh, okay. And doing accountancy meant that it was very number focused and it's very transactional. So it lacked the people engagement. So I went out and tried different things uh, in Australia. Then I moved to Japan for about seven years and then I got involved in education. And I was a general manager there in a Japanese company, um, bringing in foreign workers uh, to support the education system in Japan. So working with one of the biggest um, education companies that uh, focused on early childhood and uh, childhood um, young learners education. So that I was doing that for six years or so before returning back to Malaysia in 2013 and spent a good eight years uh, working in a multinational, uh, a global firm called Baker and McKenzie for one of the partners for about six years, then two years with uh, Christopher and Dion, which is uh, part of Raja and Tan Asia, a regional uh, law firm prominent in Southeast Asia. So it was a uh, you know, very big learning experience for me, but opened up my eyes to a whole lot more things, uh, understanding more about myself. That's when I had an ET backside and come February, I left all that behind and wanted to try something different. So that's the that's where the three companies came in, and that's where I am now. Talking to you, John. Wow. <laughs> it, it sounds really exciting, but it also sounds really scary to take on so much uh, uh, in such a short space of time. But but actually, mm. uh, that that I guess kind of brings us perfectly to the the topic of this discussion, which is kind of success versus failure, and the the, the importance of both, and and kind of moving from one to the other. Because I, I in, 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 in my day-to-day -day life, obviously I, I have my day job, but I spend a lot of time working with individuals and groups on helping them refine their job seeking, helping them improve their CVs, improve their LinkedIn profiles, improve their interview techniques. Uh, and one, one of the big things I find, especially, especially now when we're coming to the tail end of the pandemic, so many people lost their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic and they've been job hunting for the last year and a half, uh, almost two years. And they've just had failure after failure after failure, rejection after rejection after rejection. And it's, it's, it's a massive impact on your attitude. And I, I can see when I talk to them, I give them advice, I can tell them what to do, but actually what's holding them back is their attitude they they already they go to interviews and they've already decided that it's going to be a rejection and i with these people even if i tell them exactly what to do it's not enough because they're in that wrong frame of mind and, and i i myself have never really worked out how how to take that person and get them into the right frame of mind but I, i'd love to hear your take on, on on how you can work with people like that and help them get from, from a to be because it's a vicious circle right once once you get into that downward spiral oh yeah i mean the it is tough it is tough out there i think that uh, when people talk about you know looking for work i don't i don't i i truly understand you know how difficult it is and i've been very lucky throughout my life uh, my career at the very least that anywhere i wanted to go i you know, after the first, second application, I would already have gotten what I wanted. And uh, yeah, so I've attended a few sessions um, talking to future graduates or those that are in the job market looking for work. And finding work is uh, one of the hardest things to do. There's just so many reasons behind it because 
you've got so many options available out there, different industries, different companies, you know, there's the location plays a part. Then you want to go into detail on the salary, the type of roles that you do, you know, it's a whole bunch of options that people need to start looking at. And that is yeah. pretty complicated. But uh, if I were to say my biggest uh, advice to people who are looking for work is that when you are looking for work, you treat it as work. So looking for work is work itself. So meaning that yeah. don't worry about the hits and misses. What matters is your commitment that you look for work nine to six every day. It's an eight-hour shift. And once you have committed a plan, let's say, for instance, um, you want to spend, you have eight hours a day, two hours is going to be on searching, and two hours is going to be on drafting your resumes and CVs, and then two hours will be on the follow-up. In the next two hours, you want to spend on trying to call up and those that you follow-ups and then try to call your network and then doing some LinkedIn, uh, you know, postings or building connections through that. Once you do that, you have, at the very least, you know, instead of, you know, trying to aim for something that is far away, you have taken one step in front, one step ahead to building your yeah. profile and then making you know making sure that you you start you know really climbing and putting a checklist on what you're doing so if you people have eight solid working hours per day so if you're a job hunter that's what i would always recommend people because you say have you i i've applied to so many yes because what you do is to just go and click and apply all yeah. of course nothing comes back you've got to be focused and once you break down your day uh, in those brackets of times that you're going to spend, you in fact then, you know, start to really be more cautious about what, where you apply, and then the customizing comes in, and the actual follow up does really tie in properly, and that's every day. If um, someone follows through this sort of arrangement where they they have a very meticulous plan on who their target is going to be and how they're going to do it. You're bound to get data for yourself. If I yeah. have been doing this for the past one week and it's not successful, you know, what's the reason behind it? That's uh, one yeah. information. Yeah. And uh, the last one is that once you have done that, um, I think that because the world now is borderless, when I say borderless, not in terms of country, but in terms of reach, people to people, LinkedIn is one that one of those amazing platforms that allow you to speak to anyone so maybe i'm thick-faced but for me i reach out to people for help i reach out to people for just connection and uh, you know uh, yeah. ask questions and if i have a particular target i'm not scared to just go and email them and i tell graduates to do the same thing too yeah, yeah. So you, you, if there's no border for you there's nothing to stop you from reaching out and finding out and that actually does help gives you a bit of insight uh, potential employers it's massive or, help. yeah yeah massive help so yeah so it's uh you know finding work is work itself yeah. and then it's a borderless <laughs> world a lot of people can help you and it's it's interesting it's interesting because uh that that's exactly what i tell people if you're if you're looking for a job you have to treat looking for a job as if that's your, your job and a, and a big part of that is goal setting and what what what, what i found is that people people set themselves the goal of getting a job as in that's when they get a job, that's that's their their goal fulfilled. But actually, they don't have a lot of control over that. Most of the control is in the hands of the interviewer, the hiring manager, the, the HR. 
and 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 so 99 of the time they don't get their goals so if you want to treat it like a job you have to set goals or 90 of your goals have to be things that you can control which as you said is you set yourself a goal to optimize your cv then you set yourself another goal to optimize your linkedin profile another goal to uh, connect with x amount of people and set all these small goals and have 90 of your goals actually focused entirely on things that you have 100% control over. They're not easy, mm. they're still very hard to do, but it's, it's you have the control over. And only have that last 10% of your goals on things that are outside of your control, as in actually getting interviews and getting get, getting a job. Because otherwise, you're always you're always going to fail 90, 90% of the time. Where if you set yourself these goals, things that you can take action over, you, you succeed. You succeed, you succeed, mm. you succeed. And you get the, that emotional feedback of succeeding, um, and, I, and I, I find in my personal experience that's that's what. what helps. But it actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how much, how many people do not take good advice and who resist uh, good advice. I didn't, I didn't realize until someone pointed it out to me that that, that I was doing it. Um, they were giving me advice, and it was good advice, and I knew it was good advice. But there was something inside me that just it's something to do with ego that makes you not want to take the advice. You think that your way is best. Um, but actually, but actually, even it's not always down to the ego. The more I kind of analyze myself, some sometimes when you are, are on a downward spiral or, or you're, you're, you, you, you have been failing a lot, you want to cling to something that you know. You want to cling to something that is solid and, and you're kind of scared to change what you're doing. And you cling to this this idea even you know the idea is wrong and you think to it because you know it and someone who comes along and gives you some good advice you know it's good advice but you're also scared of it because it's something new um and it, it kind of makes me think of how success is linked to kind of embracing change um i think you hear it on social media a lot and, and, and from and from uh, uh, inspirational speakers but what's 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 your take on the importance of change the importance of being able to adapt yourself uh, not so much for job seekers but just in in, in, in general wow when we're talking about embracing change i mean that's the theme for the past for the past two years i believe and uh <laughs> interesting that you you mentioned that because uh, yesterday i was uh running my own um live show on linkedin called lol the result it's not actually that loud, it's living out loud the result and my guest was this guy named siva and we were talking about you know handling VUCA world, how to handle VUCA world, and uh, his theme was the corporate chameleon. Um, and we spoke in depth about you know why the chameleon is such a special animal, and uh, one of its capabilities is uh, the ability to adapt and adapt to the surrounding, and that's how you know they when you're faced with a situation where it's uncertain and ambiguous volatile and very difficult and there's lack of clarity you definitely need to start putting you know uh, start uh, take a step back and being able to start framing ahead what you need to do and uh, for me when it comes to embracing change um, I always like this quote by this great man, uh, Charles Darwin. I might, my quote might be might not be the correct, one, but it's, it's that uh, 
is not the strongest or the most intelligent that survive. It's always the one that is the quickest to adapt. The quickest yeah. to adapt is the one that survive. So what that tells me is that for me personally, you know, you can be the smartest person, you can be the strongest, almost agile. And the one that is, you know, out there, if, if you translate it to business, the one with the most market share, the one with the biggest budget, not necessarily could withstand change because change happens so fast. And it's the one that is able to detect the change and embrace it, understand it, and then apply it to their work. So maybe what I would do is I will probably showcase uh, my experience in the past eight years working with Big uh, McKenzie and then Raja and Asia. Uh, lawyers, second oldest profession in the world, right? The, those guys are, uh, you know, they do the same thing what they've been doing since the start of you know, their profession. And they have been surviving all throughout, you know, the many, many years uh, in that particular industry without having to have that much of a challenge. I mean, there is always a challenge, right? But because their clients because the market and the industry change and they have new technological advancement and then the products and services that their clients uh, deliver to uh, deliver, they themselves need to make sure that they are capable to service them and match them as per the requirement. And nowadays, the biggest keyword would be technology and innovation. So we definitely can't be applying the same thing that what we are doing uh, on a day-to-day -day basis uh, and to be able to service our clients the best without understanding what changes they have gone through. So to be able to do that, there was a lot of things that we do. And one of the favorite topics that uh, most big corporations, you know, uh, launch or talk about is critical thinking and design thinking. Yeah. And I just love that topic. And I think it applies to anyone, in fact. Individuals, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, small businesses, and even the large corporations. So, when when you are in a situation where you suddenly feel that okay, things are working out well, but it's not where it's supposed to be, then it's definitely that moment in time where you start to reflect inwards and outwards. And the, the most basic thing that you need to do is that, as you mentioned just now, social media is one of the the, the key things because. Social media means everything is available, but what is available to us, it really depends on the social media itself. It could be a selected set of news that, you know, there's not important news, but countless amount of time looking at junk when the real crux of the matter is actually there, but we're not looking at it. And we missed that opportunity to find out information. So uh, I always tell people that be in the know. So if you're in the business side, if you're looking for work in the business world, be in the know. You definitely need to read up. You definitely need to be very aware of what's happening in the market, and that's you know one way of doing it. And it's surprising that a lot of people don't do that these days. It's not a habit uh, when it comes to reading. They're just so they're just happily saying that I check Facebook, I did check LinkedIn, but you know LinkedIn it's sporadic. The information that yeah. comes up is not what it's focused. So that's the outward looking. The internal side. Um, from an individual perspective, um, I know I'm, I'm going tangent a bit. I I'm now in my mid forties, and uh, in Japan, I remember um, when you work in a company, it is mandatory to go through a health checkup on a year-to-year -year basis, right? 
and then once you pass a certain age, I think I can't recall if it's thirty-five or something like that. Then the the, the test that they do gets a bit different, and then it's a bit scary. This is one thing that I used to drink, and they put me in the machine, and they will just move me left, right, just like a pancake. And what it does, it scans the inside of my body, and it tells me whether my internal organs are all good and you know intact and functioning properly. Yeah. So um, when it comes to changes, embracing change, sometimes uh, we need to understand our core strengths and who we are as an individual, what are our you know, personality traits and characteristics and whatnot. Sometimes people don't know that. So we, I always recommend for our people to, for my team members or for those that I, I, I've been speaking with, is to do a personality or profiling check on a year-to-year basis because people change. You probably don't need, to, don't need to do the same thing. If you do an MBTI once, maybe you can do it in the next three years. But there's other tests available that you can take on. It gives you a different insight of who you are. And then it will tell a story and it will tell you then, ah, this is something that my preference, this is my preference and this is what I'm accustomed to. So when that change do happen, I'm actually ready to face it and I know what my strengths are, how I'm going to react to it. So I thought yeah. that's uh, something that I've been telling people that you, know, you need to be focused on the outside world and all that you can learn and the, the organization and whatnot. But from a personal perspective, start learning about yourself and then that could mean doing this, those tests or uh, taking on subjects that you're interested in for personal development. And if you do that, you know, whatever comes, you're ready. I think that that, that sort of investment yeah. of time and effort into yourselves, yeah. You're right. It's, it's, it's very interesting, actually, because you don't notice the changes that happen to your identity from one year to the next. But sometimes you look mm. back, like who I was in my 30s, who I was in my 20s, who I was before university. And actually, they're, they're, those identities are all very, very different. But it happens so gradually yeah. that you, you, you don't realize. Uh, I mean, I'm, I myself am naturally very in, introverted. But, and, but I've had to transform myself into an extrovert. And you start off just pretending to be an extrovert but over time it becomes it becomes natural it becomes your your real identity but you don't you don't kind of notice it and then you once you do you can start changing your goals based based on that it's very it's, it's very interesting um but as you said change is something that you have to be prepared for or you have to be adaptable but a big part of being adaptable is accepting failure right I mean, especially even even myself as a recruiter, when I was in my first in-house recruitment job, which was iFlips, I screwed up over and over and over again. I'd, over, I'd only ever been a headhunter before, and in-house recruitment is very different. Um, but that's that's the way I, I learned. I screwed up and I made it better. I screwed up and made it better again. I screwed up and made it better again. And luckily, I had a CEO who was very much behind that method of, of learning. And within a few months, we, we were hiring so many high quality people because of all those screw ups at the beginning. But, but, but actually, when, when it doesn't go quite right, and if you don't get that um, validation or reward from the screw ups and the learning that we're doing, you can actually again get caught in a, in a downward spiral where you start to think of change and adaptability as, as a negative thing. Uh, you start to be skeptical about change rather than 
uh, enjoying change and loving change and seeing it as, as growth. Um, how, 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 have you ever been in that situation yourself where you just thought, oh, I, I, I just want to stay things as they are. I don't want to move. It's stable. It's nice. It's comfortable. Why, why, why do I have to change and, and do these things? I think a lot of people do get stuck like that way. They have a yes, few bad experiences yes. and they think, I'm just, just going to maintain my comfort zone. Yeah, fear of failure. I think that's one of the things that um, you know stops people from trying new things and pushing themselves. And I yeah. love uh, the point you raised just now about your own experience and uh, you know going through a few set of failures and then after that you start to learn. Um, it, it, this is something very critical for me and I personally practice this belief and I, I completely agree. I think that you learn so much more through mistakes. And uh, I told my team members, I told my kids, my family members, my friends, I believe in the rule of three. So everything that we do, that's a cycle. Um, and that cycle can be, you know, one week, uh, one month, three months, one year, and so on. But as long as there's three. So in everything that we do, we are in the capacity to learn. So when we are in the learning stage, we go out. We learn, we speak with a mentor, we speak with our, you know, our, uh, our bosses and find out what actually do I need to do, what are the goals that I need to achieve. And then once you have gone through the learning stage, it's the application stage. And yeah. through this application stage, this is when you start doing what you need to do and you start to realize what the mistakes are. And uh, if there are issues and so on, you take note of it, you learn from it, you get feedback, you revamp it and then once you've gone to the second stage then the third stage is already perfecting it when i say perfecting it doesn't mean that it's 100 percent but you have taken taken stock of what you've learned you've uh, understood the trial and error and you found out the best form and you execute it on the third part so this applies to most of the things especially in business uh in, in, in the companies that i run and before prior to this i, I was in corporate so my team members were like in hundreds 200 you know i want to be doing something all i need to do is this is a strategy is how you do it and voila they do it yeah. <laughs> when you're on your own you know uh, execution thinking and everything i'm i have a hand in it so a lot of the guys really at the learning stage they, they were struggling already and then a lot of people feel that result this is not a good idea how do you know it's not a good idea until you go through it and try it and you get feedback for it and you validate it so if you feel that it's not matching the expectation and you feel that it's like um it's nowhere close where you should be then there has to be that push to relearn it and redeploy and do it until then only then i will be happy and satisfied to say that you have given your your best to correct the failure and you have something like that if anyone who doesn't go through that in first instance say that it's a bad idea then i usually i disagree and that's my reason yeah. the three steps so it is definitely uh something that everybody has to go through there's no such thing as you, know, you do one thing and it works out it can it can happen um, but somewhere along the line of uh, a great new idea has already been a combination or a combination of previous ideas that, that they did have done 
and brought in. No one comes in with a brilliant idea. Hey, I got something. Let's put in, you know, 100,000 ringgit. I'm going to, you know, develop it into 400,000 ringgit in revenue. I don't know. I mean, uh, the guy has to be really, really, really solid, good, you know, um, forecasting skill. I can see the future. I have a sixth sense. Um, but I told my team or my team members in the past and now as well, whatever ideas that you have, if you feel very passionate about it, if you believe it, go for it. Let's try. What's the worst that can happen? Failure. If it's failure, then how do we come back from it? And that's the biggest learning point, I think. And then whatever that's executed beyond that will have you know been much more stronger and more impactful. And that process just goes on and on and on. And I think that's uh, how I try to get my team to be on the ball and then learn from mistakes. Yeah. I think uh, sometimes failure can often be a, a good motivator as, as well. Mm. Sometimes if you don't fail, you don't know if you're pushing the limits. You, you mm. kind of, weird, you, 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 you only know if you're pushing something to the limit if you fail, right? Uh, if you yeah, yeah. don't fail, it means you probably weren't pushing to the limit. It's, it's like, um, it's a bad example, but if someone says you're driving too fast, actually, if you don't crash, you're not driving too fast, right? If you, you, you <laughs> crash out, can it be too fast? Uh, oh, it's, a, it's, it's a silly example, but uh, <laughs> I, I think you understand, right? Okay, I'm not going to get in the car with you now, I'm joking. <laughs> it, is, it is good to fail, I think, you, because it, it, it's a signal that you are pushing something to the limit. Um, maybe a, a better example, not a, not a work example, is one of, one of my personal goals has been to improve my deadlift in the, in the gym. Um, so some days I'll go to the gym and I'll be deadlifting and I'll, I'll set a new personal record. But, but actually, as much as that makes me feel good, I don't feel that I'm finished in the gym until I try and lift a weight that I cannot lift up. Because if I if I if I lift it and succeed, that's just that's just hitting a goal. But I'm not actually getting better until I push myself to the limit and I'm trying to lift something that I can't lift and I have to put it down again. And I think, great, I put in the extra effort and I tried to do it even though I, I couldn't do it. Uh, and that's going to make me that's that's it's that one that I can't do that makes me stronger uh, for the for, for the next session. Um, but what what I mean what what do you think about using using failure? As a, as a form of motivation. Well, I completely agree with it. I think that uh, any any stories always have, you know, the mountain peaks and the alleys and, whatnot, <laughs> yeah. and the rise through the ashes and how you overcome challenge. And that's always, you know, the key point in any story or in, in any corporate story, in fact, you know, uh, people yeah. learn through how we overcome failure. And it is definitely a big source of motivation. For myself, um, Red Flag Asia, even though it's a management consultancy firm, it also owns a uh, go-kart racing team. So I'm actually a racing driver myself, um, but on go-karts. So funny that you mentioned cars just now. I was thinking, wow, this guy's a racer as well. Maybe we should go on the track one day. Um, and one day. Uh, <laughs> one day, one day, pretty sure soon. Um, so in racing, you're always going for the top, the top position. And when you want to go for the, the top position there's very low margin for error you just have to be perfect and the qualifying runs 
and then throughout the race you have to be very consistent and you gain you have to gain the edge we're talking about you know one one tenth one one hundred or one thousand per second probably not one one thousand that's like f1 already but maybe within one second plus minus or one tenth and you know um for for my team the guys have been working really really hard but what made us really appreciate you know uh, our achievements we won first place in our category recently and that was after a couple of failures so each time we finished the race i would have a debrief with them and i said that you know yes we didn't attain the goal that we wanted which was to win that cup the first place the coveted place we got third place or once we got you know lower than third what was the key learnings that you got from it so people started talking about you know that they realized that uh, they they felt like the team was supportive even though they didn't win one person realized that he was the slowest uh, and then knew that uh, he let the team down but he was happy because the team still believed in him and it made him push harder and that you know was a breakthrough because the next time around when we were in, when in training that guy was the hardest on the track he was working the hardest because he felt that he wanted to be able to prove himself and he wanted he wanted the team to do that let him down, uh, let the team down so he was pushing himself to the limit to the bad limit and that was great because after that i have guys who have tasted failure in some ways even though it was a good one uh, but they then were so driven they learned from it and that motivated them you know, want to do it for the team uh, i know i'm not supposed to do and you know we all have one goal and then and, and, and to achieve that goal these are the things that i need to do and it was all through that discussion and being very detailed about our feelings and what, what our commitments are supposed to be like and so on and it wasn't a bashing situation at all all i wanted from them is you tell me what are the two things that you two good things that you took away from the experience and what are the two things that are even better is even better is what can you do so i twisted a bit um, there's some coaching element that i was putting in there but the guys loved it and then it wasn't a screaming match it wasn't blaming i never blame because it's a team effort and you pick it up you try and pick it up and then put it back into it and then we all work well better after that so it is definitely yeah. a good sort of motivation from a sports perspective at least yeah definitely, definitely. i mean there's there's so many comparisons between sport motivation and business motivation but um yeah. i think i think you might you mentioned uh, a book from uh charles darwin earlier i think I've, I've got another one to throw back at you by uh the the, the great winston churchill uh, success is moving from one failure to the next failure without any loss of enthusiasm um and, and, and i think that, that that sums it up right um not letting failure get you down because it's just it's, it's not a finite it's just uh, it's, it's just part of the journey uh, that, that, that you have to take. um but one of the one of the one of the things that i was interested in is obviously your 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 time spent in japan which is a, a very unique culture and uh, has been a source of a lot of uh philosophical ideas which are very interesting to the western uh, audience and and definitely what caught my my mind was the the idea of beautiful imperfections uh which which, which i know is something that you've spoken about um and we, we we get so drawn to that idea of perfection in 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 every aspect of our lives um seeing problems as something that needs to be fixed 
uh, seeing these issues and, and failures as uh, negatives rather than positives. But what's I mean, what's your take on that idea of kind of abandoning perfection and and not seeing perfection as a, at the end goal? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for bringing that up. I mean, that's a, a an amazing topic, and it's a topic that's close to my heart. And um, this goes back to the time when I was in Japan, where, funnily enough, right, um, in Japan I was a salary man. I was a salary man that uh, you know, I had to be in the office by eight thirty, uh, and then I start work at nine, and I have to finish work after my boss leaves. And he's, he, he, he was originally from Tokyo, and I was based in Osaka. So he's basically living in Osaka just for work. So that means his family is in Tokyo, in Tokyo. so he's by himself. So would this man go home early? No. Uh, and it's culture in Japan to not leave uh, earlier before the boss. So you always have to just stay there and do work, or pretend to do work, or you know, do your best. And Japan was very objectively driven. Everybody in the organization generally knows what you know the sales goals are, what the initiatives are, and what they want, what they, the department is supposed to achieve. Because it's a mantra, uh, they have this thing in the morning called asa chori. Asa chori is uh, where everybody in the department stands up, and they all report what's what's going to happen, what are on their to do list, and people take turns talking about it, and. Uh, when it's your turn, you report on what you're going to do and if there's any assistance required and we're required to share something of your, something that is you know, on your personal side that people can learn from. So it could be a newspaper article, a TV program you ate, you saw, a food you ate recently, a place you visited. So I, I felt that there was a, you know, there's a human element in there and it did, you know, give us an opportunity to get to know each other a bit more. But despite all that, I was struggling. I was struggling because I was a foreigner living there. I was never going to be uh, matching the locals. And uh, I had difficulty with language, even though I picked it up in the space of four months. And I was even better than a lot of those who are already in Japan for two, three years. I was immediately brought into management because of my background and my ability to uh, learn the culture and also the language. Um, and it was so bad because uh, expectations were very high. And I took over a role of someone very prominent, prominent and who had, knew the work inside out. And for me, as a, as a manager, I thought that that's how I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm supposed to be good at this. I'm supposed to be able to report this and that and that. And it killed me. It literally killed me. One and a half years of trying to pretend to be who I'm not. And one of my senior yeah. managers put me in. Result, I can see you struggling. You're working so hard every day, and you're not delivering. Do you know why? Do you think is there anything that is stopping you? And I told the person. Uh, her name is uh, Miss Omori. I will always remember that Omori Kacho. And uh, she said that uh, you know there's this thing called wabisabi in Japan. It's about the appreciation of imperfection and seeing it. Uh, seeing perfection um, as something beautiful. So it doesn't really relate to 
what I'm going through, but what she was trying to tell me that is that you don't have to be that person. You have your own strengths and you have your own flaws. Now, sometimes people always say that you have flaws, you work on it. There are things that you can work on. No matter what you do, you can probably learn bits and pieces about it, but you will never be good at it. But then mm -hmm. you have your strengths. Your strengths is the one that you can amplify and use it to your advantage. So at that time, I didn't really understood you know, what I need to do to be able to understand my own strengths and weaknesses and, you know, what I can I can hone my skills on. Then I started studying and I learned about myself a bit more Then I realized that, whoa, um, I, I do, I found that my passion is actually engaging with people on a particular area and it was actually HR, uh, funnily enough. And I was always very accounts-centric, right? So it was, you know, I was stuck bottleneck there and i can't i don't know why i'm doing this because i'm a qualified accountant and that's i thought that was what i expected when i i didn't want to do that after that and it was, it was stopping me from being me then i just handed that job over to someone else and i focused on doing hr and because i was a general manager i also had a knack of uh, speaking to people and yep. they also got me to lead uh, the business development and marketing side and within the space of three months I match my targets immediately and it was uncanny because I didn't know that it's something that I'm able to do. Uh, I woke up earlier, I walked faster, I spoke with confidence and uh, I started you know, appreciating what I do and that's through understanding my own imperfections and knowing where I can really focus on. So once I had that fixed up, then I know where I am as a person in mm. that uh, organization. The next thing, which is more important, another term, um, which is called kintsugi. So I don't know if you've seen this before. So in Japan, kintsugi is the art of patching things up that are broken. So you have that, you know, mm, okay. broken up and they use, you know, um, gold uh, lining to patch things up. And it looks a bit, you know, off place and, it's off, and cracks being filled up. But after working on it, it becomes something very new. And then again, my, my senior manager, Mr. Mori, spoke about it to me. So, you know, Kintsugi, it's uh, this beautiful thing in Japan where they piece things together. So, Rizal, now that you've found your sweet spot, let's build a team around you and then patch things up so you make a, a running and efficient team. So, I started to then figure out, okay, so my weaknesses are this. You know, these are the things that I can't do very well. I'm the type of guy that cannot focus on one thing, hence the trigger business. And I'm the kind of guy that likes to go and talk, meaning that don't give me transactional operational stuff. So it will, I can do it, but it will take time. So I had to, yeah. I had to go. I found, I started looking for people with that sort of capabilities, and if they're better than me, better. I want them to be better than me so that it helps yeah. make the whole work well together because we need to push each other so when i knew where i needed things to be patched up i focused on that and make sure that i have the right people to support me and because of that even when i moved to malaysia in 2013 and when i met my team it was very quickly guys this is who i am this is what i do and we start to get to know each other and i start to assess what their capabilities are and then I know already that uh, if when I'm working on something, this is how I'm going to present it to them. 
And this is where they come in and then they help me. And then there's always an open conversation to, to fix that because I know that I am not going to be this person that you think I am. I'm not the perfect leader. Just because I have a title, a senior title doesn't mean I know everything. You guys should know better. And you come and fill me in. You become my kinsugi, basically. So everywhere that I go from then on, I was always very conscious about myself, how I go and play and where my strengths are. And then I have my team member who will complement my strength and also my weaknesses. So then when you come into a team and you work together, it just flows so much better. No one's yep. stepping on anyone's shoes. Everyone's you know having one set goal and uh, everybody helps each other uh, from an ad value perspective. Better than this, you know, because you're my boss and you're my team member and this is your speciality, you do that. But you know, there's that other element where this is where I'm weak at, you come and help me on this, and then this is where you're not good at, I can come and chip in as well. So there's always that, you know, trade-off uh, between the two, and it helps build relationships so much stronger. So that's uh, when when people chase for perfection, I always say that you can always chase for perfection. You may not get it. Don't be disappointed, but uh, you just have to continue to strive to improve, but know where you need to improve, and then know where your imperfections are. And that's an ongoing journey that you will have to discover uh, in yeah. your in your life. So you, the older you get, different things come to you, right? I mean, you said it as well as as we grow old, we have different stages in our life: promotions, different team members, new companies, family, family members, loss of life, you know, uh, changes, mm -hmm. pandemic, all that. So there's so many things uh, moving around, but. Uh, if someone yeah. really appreciates what Bisabi, all these changes that is happening around you, you just are able to have a look at it from a different perspective. That's you know, things yes. do happen, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it destroys uh, opportunity, it destroys what's happening around you. You just have to know how to learn and uh, understand how it does help you. There's something that happens that always have an impact to you, be it good or bad, if you're able to see it very clearly you know what next steps you need to do. Yeah. yeah. I guess I think you touched on it earlier as well about uh, the value of self-analysis and understanding your own uh, imperfections and, and, and therefore being able to leverage them. But whilst, whilst you're talking, it kind of made me think of the, the trying to be a perfect employee versus trying to be a value-adding employee because i mean i definitely i was i was never successful as a recruiter until i started doing things my own way as if in i joined a recruitment company a head company and and you get trained how to do it and 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 you have to follow certain processes and do it this way and i would try to do it the way that i was told and i, I just didn't get good results i was i was just very distinctly average uh, and it wasn't until I left that environment and I was given a new environment where I could do it exactly how I wanted and just think about the result and think about how I am going to get the result rather than thinking about this is somebody else's process. Uh, and that, it wasn't until then that I started to be successful. Um, and I think a lot of, again, a lot of people get stuck in this idea of this is my education. This is the role that I've been given. This is what I have to do. I just have to follow this and this and this and be a perfect employee but actually mm. they, they, they they don't get any satisfaction and they don't 
really get anywhere. It's not until you realize it's just about the result. And my my value as an employee is about getting that result, but not following the, the processes. Um, I mean, is, is that kind of similar to your experience in the past, or especially from an accounting background, which is a lot about following processes um, uh, versus that more entrepreneurial idea where it's just about a goal, it's just about a result? Yeah, wow. That's actually a yeah interesting way that you put it. And um, we all would, I mean, as, as a, if I was in my old role uh, in corporate, having a perfect employee is like, wow. I just don't have any issues to deal with and i don't have to worry <laughs> we would love that as well um but um maybe i'll go a bit off tangent of this right in terms yeah. of uh being value adding or being a perfect employee um whenever there's an issue in a company or in an organization um whenever someone comes to me i've got this person who's not doing well the first thing that i would raise uh, to anyone that, that reaches out to me is that okay tell me uh, what have you uh, what is the structure or what are the processes that are in place uh, for the team member to to deliver their work because the success and failure for you know a staff really really highly depends on what the organization has prepared for them um, reason being the firm is always bigger than the employee that's my view because employees come and go the firm will stay on as long as it remains in operation and it's making money and it is under the responsibility of the employers or management or the firm owners to make sure that they themselves prepare the right platform the right you know environment the right structure of the you know having a, a real focus and people development uh, making sure that people are not just stagnant in their role, because if we don't have that, if you're relying on on individuals to, you know, uh, we want you to be more creative, we want you to be more innovative in your ideas. Go and think, you know. We've done that to to our staff before, and no surprise, nothing. Uh, you might get one or two ideas, but it's really nothing that they have thought about. It's like really basic. It's like mm, okay, it's not not that nothing special. But if you create the environment, if you raise awareness and there's thought leadership going in, there is conversations and your evaluation or your feedback isn't done just once a year, you have that conducive environment where people start to develop. So one of the things that I, I instigated when I was in corporate was that, you know, we have to, we have to plan engagement. Uh, and I always tell my guys, you know, you have 12 months a year, that's four quarters a year. Now, if you have four quarters a year, you have three months in a quarter to be able to achieve something. So if you want to have a very conducive working space, what can you do to make sure that your team members remain engaged, they develop as an individual, and then later on and think how they can become at value, at value uh, team members. So that means social engagements, that means discussions and meetings, and that means personal development, i.e. training. So if you don't have that in place on a quarterly basis, how can you expect someone to be able to, you know, start thinking like a manager, even though they're not one, or someone who's invested into the business? So yeah. in that context, yeah, I, I, it's a bit a different take to it. 
So um, when somebody comes to me with that, you know, my, my staff is not, he, he or she is not doing so well, just do the same thing and with nothing new ideas. Yeah. Have you given that platform? Was there a discussion with that? Was there, you know, opportunities with the trainings and samples being given? Have you empowered them to do things? So, yeah, that, that's my take on it. That's interesting. I think so. I think we've got time for one more quick uh, kind of theme uh, to the conversation yep. before we have to wrap up. And it, again, mm. it was interesting. It came to me whilst whilst you were talking. Uh, so so many people, especially in HR, uh, uh, HR is going through an amazing transformation right now and becoming a, a a real strategic part of many businesses. I mean, it's been happening slowly for twenty odd years, but now it's it really seems to be ramping up. But there's still a, a huge base of HR people who are, uh, are stuck in operations and, and stuck in the importance of processes and procedures. Um, how, how, how do you break people away from that within your team? As in, stop them thinking we're doing it this way because this is the way that we've always done it. Or blaming their failures on things which are out of their control, like processes and procedures. It's one of the most frustrating things to me as a recruiter, when the, the, the team says, we can't hire this one because it's our policy not to hire at this level or this level. Or, and, and they're making these very important strategic decisions based on uh, uh, these policies, almost arbitrary policies. Um, how, how, how do you, how in, your, in the past, how have you moved past that and, and got people to understand that policies are, are put in place for a certain time and a certain period uh, and as soon as they are not working anymore you have to get rid of them and build new policies i think that's what that's where a lot of companies i've worked with have been stuck for is the idea that policies they think policies are there forever whereas <laughs> i think policies are there to, to help you and as soon as as soon as but they come outdated they very quickly and they have to be constantly reviewed is, is that is that your experience too? And is, have you had trouble with employees who are too bogged down in in policies? Yes. Wow. That's a. <laughs> you reminded me of some of the experiences that I went through, and um, so the first thing first is that um, because because I I was lucky um, when I was in Japan those guys stuck to policies like uh, ironclad you know it's very <laughs> difficult everything um in japan everything has to be approved by a seal you know the stamp right so you've got your name stamp yeah. and in, in the past it was done physically so a letter has to be sent somebody stamp it stamp it and then when i was there uh, it was through an online system so there's an, a, a soft copy stamp so once approved, approved and the amount of uh the detail that you have to put in for any kind of changes it's almost like you should give up applying change. Yep. Um, when I went to Baker's, then it opened up my eyes to the fact that you know uh, it's a regional, it's a global firm, so there's always talk about improvements, uh, keeping in time, and then because the HQ is in the US, so we do get really updated information and then you know new best practices that can be applied into the different offices so that's that's great but in relation to your question if i were to be uh approaching it uh, from a new angle because i'm a coach uh it everything starts off with the conversation and one thing 
for for a lot of these people, there's uh, limiting beliefs that they think, you know, I, this is why I have to do something because that's what the policy says. And uh, I always take some time just to sit down with my managers and find out really, really, you know, understand why uh, a procedure or policy is in place and what's the purpose. And then try and pick their brains and find out that is there any any way that you can, you know, we can improve this policy because, you know, things are different now, just to have a sense. And if there's some buy-in there, that's great. Um, but if there's none, then usually I would have pointed them to different directions, which is you know, to go and look up uh, subscriptions and uh, information available online. So what I got my team members before in the past to do was, especially on the HR side, when I came in, the first thing I asked was, you know, have you ever subscribed to any leading HR websites, right? So there's HR Asia, there's a few uh, big ones in the UK, in the US, and the ones that are free as well as available. And I asked them, the reason why I asked them is because I wanted them to start thinking like business owners. Um, and not just as a person who, who just takes, you know, um, requests and then you just process it like a robot. We want them to be able to think and start getting, you know, uh, new ideas and try and implement and propose. Because you always want to try and improve our services. So as business owners, you always want to up the game. If you're doing the same thing year on, you know, where's the challenge? Where do you grow? Um, so once you start um, uh, subscribing to that and then, you know, okay, getting on LinkedIn. So I was very happy because I was on LinkedIn from way back. And I started to see the value from connecting to different people. And they start having speaking sessions and speaking engagements. Some are paid, some are free. So I made sure that my team members uh, are allocated enough budget to be able to sign into a program where they get to speak with other leading experts within the same industry. And that's where, when I mentioned about investment of time and money, I think that's critical. If you don't do that, then you know don't expect change because these people are, are and they're not going out of their shell and then just doing what they need to do on a day-to-day -day basis that makes them happy because it's a comfort zone i'm doing my work that's all i care about um but if you want to you know be able to improve yourself in in your particular role and potentially go and find a, a better role in the future you can't stop yourself from you know developing and you need to reach out so one is having that conversation and finding out their own appetite and then second one is uh you know going and subscribing and attending sessions the third one that i always instigate for my teams to do in the past eight years when i was in my previous firms is this thing called satisfaction survey service satisfaction survey um it's 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 not necessary but i like to put my team on check and i want them to be on their toes um because if you're thinking of yourself as a business if you're a department or a function you know you're just a function but if you're a business uh perception and service quality matters so on a yearly basis these guys will send to prepare a survey asking different different levels within the organization it could be the end users it could be management and then requesting feedback and of course i will go through and, and make sure that the structure is such where I am able to understand what the, the sentiment is and secondly, what are the things that they want us uh, to do or improve on. So from there, I get to know, one, their own 
uh, areas that they want to work on through the conversation, ideas from the market through the trainings that they attend, and then the needs of the organization. And then and there, I have my, you know, following financial year strategy, three points you wish to achieve, and then go back to my quarterly breakdown. And these are the things that you need to achieve. And this is, you know, what are your quarterly plans to be able to, to match that. And that keeps them engaged. Uh, that keeps them attuned to the business needs. And at the same time, builds the relationship with me as a general manager or a senior manager in the team who is focused in trying to bring improvement and also believing that, you know, you should evolve in your own role. Um, one thing I mentioned to my team members before, I know that we're just a bit over time. Um, in law firms, uh, most of the time, functional roles like HR, finance, IT, and so on, it stays stagnant, right? stagnant because you know, your, your function is that. But I feel that everybody should grow in their role. So when you are writing your CV, if you work in a company for six years, and you're in the same role, or maybe you get promoted once, your job scope doesn't really change. So I wanted them to be able to say that okay, this year I've achieved my, you know, implementing this particular, you know, uh, initiative. And the second year I attended a speaking engagement. So these are all achievements within the same role that you can put on a year-on-year basis. So I think for their career in the future, when you be in the same company or outside they have very significant milestones that they can achieve something that they're proud of even as simple as you know uh doing microsoft office training which has a microsoft office mm. certificate i instigated yeah. that and i wanted them to learn and they put it in their resume so everybody now has a nice beefy little resume of really good achievements instead of just six years hr assistant or exec which yeah. says nothing yeah, so yeah. sorry, but uh, I really, really yeah. want people to be empowered to make decisions and think of themselves as a business within the business and tie in their personal needs, department needs, and the organizational needs. And you have a very full structure of your your role, yeah. not only just what you do for the whole year uh, in, in personal development. I think uh, I think that, that word empowerment is uh is, is the key one right Give, giving people the not just the ability but also the assurance that they can make changes and they can uh, do things. Exactly. yeah we 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 are past uh, the hour mark um so i uh, was out thank you so much for spending this time with us i think for, for myself i can talk about this kind of thing all day and i enjoy talking <laughs> about it all day uh, but the, the podcast has a, a time limit unfortunately so again thank you so much for spending this time with me to everyone watching thank you so much for watching and listening uh, have a wonderful evening and hopefully you'll join us for the next session thanks again Rizal. take care bye-bye thank you bye-bye awesome so i i'll keep on recording just and i'll cut that off uh, later but yeah thank you thank you so much mate. Uh, how how how, how did it feel for you <laughs> uh I, I don't know the editing part i'm very sorry you might have to <laughs> do some editing but uh, yeah i loved it man i loved it i loved actually um uh, talking with you i think you've got tons of uh things to speak about um and uh, clearly you know your stuff very well man because you've been doing this for many many years so i have to match that so i'm kind of pressured as well <laughs> 
know, so, I thought, but, I thought, but, I thought it uh, was, yeah, I love it. I thought it was a really yeah. good session. But it's but it's always the case when uh, I've, as I said, I've done four or five of these now over the last week and a half, and uh, I write down all my conversation prompts, but. It, it kind of goes out the window a little bit and you just end up having a conversation and it goes on way longer uh, than uh, yeah. uh, Ken did. So when I, when I, when Ben, my CEO, asked me to start doing these, I thought they would all be around 15 minutes long. Uh, and I planned them to be 15 minutes long. And so far, the shortest one is 45. And on this one, I think, is joint first first place at the longest about about one hour so yeah your, the plans always go out the window but yeah so thank you so much for doing this i will start to prepare everything and like, and like i said i want to release them every two weeks and i've got about four or five so it might be a month or a month and a half before we actually launch or, or, or release this one but hopefully I'll, before then i'll get like the bio from you and a, and, a, and a profile pic that we can use when we launch it uh, and then we'll go from there I'll use, I use a fancy one. I'll make one up. Yeah, I've got, I've got tons oh, of that. I love superimposing myself on things. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a late comer to Photoshop and things like this. But now, now that I've learned how to use them, I just, I just go crazy and start putting self imposing myself on all different things. It's uh, <laughs> quite childish, but quite fun no. uh, as well. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, man. But yeah, uh, we're, we're we have to, we're, once, once, yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we should go out for a drink uh, to the pub and then uh, catch up. Uh, yeah, left to, yeah, definitely. You know, it's been a while. Once, once, once things uh, loosen down, I still haven't been to the office in eighteen months. Um, uh, I'm, a bit, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a hermit, um, but yeah, as soon as everything loosens down, definitely we should have a meetup, uh, and then yeah, yeah. Hey, go awesome. So thank you. Thank you very much, mate. And uh, I'll be in touch as soon as I've got the next things going, and we go from there. Have a have a have a great weekend. You too, mate. Cheers, cheers. Thank you. Thank you, mate.